Blog Talk Radio. Ignite your life with passion and purpose. Your health, your wealth, your happiness. Make it good. This is Modern Love with Dr. Brenda Wade. A big thank you to Rainbow Grocery, our favorite grocery store here in the San Francisco Bay Area, for being our sponsor, because a healthy body is a sexy body. Hi there, everyone. Welcome to Modern Love. We have an interesting show for you tonight. We're going to talk about something that doesn't get a lot of play in today's fast-paced, mobile, technical, youth-oriented culture, and that is how to connect with elders. And guess what? There are more elders around right now than there are young folks. And that means we need to be able to bridge that divide, especially when elders in your family need care. It's good to know what to expect, how to care for them, how to connect with them, and how to really reap some of the value that elders bring to the table. I have a friend, uh, her name was Angela Zarians, who was a well-known author who passed away recently. And she was speaking at a conference, and one of the books she wrote was called The Second Half of Life. So it was all about elders. And she stood up very tall and said, I'm an elder, and I represent elders because I'm in my 70s now, and I want to say that by the time you reach 50, if you aren't showing wisdom, it's really not very becoming, which cracked me up that she phrased it that way, but the point is well taken that we are all on a journey to acquire wisdom and often, not always, but often the longer you live and the more miles you log, then the wisdom might just be something you can pass on and share. So our guest tonight, Stephanie Erickson, who is a social worker, works with seniors and their families and has been doing so for over 20 years, providing training, consultation, and support. She also works with the Alzheimer's Society and financial and legal institutions. You can check her out at her website, www.ericksonresource.com. And I'll spell that out later. But what is this show really going to give you? It's going to give you four keys to connecting with elders, and that is very, very important. So we want to welcome to the show Stephanie Erickson. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. This is an important topic, and there are a lot of people caught in what we call the sandwich generation, people who are caring for young children and then caring for elders in the family at the same time. So what is the most important thing right off the bat, Stephanie, that you want us to know about elder care? Well, I think that you said it in your opening, uh, Brenda, and I was really happy to hear it. 
when we age, we are still present. We are still valuable. We can still engage. We can still participate based on physical challenges, perhaps some cognitive challenges. Yes, we might evolve and change over time. And as your friend said, hopefully with that comes some wisdom. Um, But as we age, we are still present, and I think it's really important for families to continue to try to find and rediscover who their loved one is at all steps along the way. Yeah, I love your saying that. I'm caring for my mother who has reached the age of maturity where caring for her is really important. And one of the things I know is when I started on that journey of realizing mom needed care, it was hard. It was really painful to see my beautiful, elegant, brilliant mother slipping away. And I literally, it was so hard for me, I had to call my sister. Every time I went for a visit, I would set up, we had this all worked out between the two of us, a debriefing. So I could say to her, this is how I'm feeling, and she could give me support. And then when she went, she'd call me and say, this is how I'm feeling, because it was quite an adjustment. So for family members who are facing caring for elders, let's talk about that, because that is something that everybody is going to experience at some point if they've got older family members. Yeah, that's absolutely right. We all have older family members. It may not be your parents. It may be an aunt or uncle. It may be a grandparent. Or you might find yourself caring for a good friend who doesn't have children, and so you step in to help and support. So all of us at some point in our lives will be caregivers in some way or some shape or form, excuse me. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, the very first thing, you have these four steps, these four keys to people caring for elders, and one of them is knowing to value elders. And I have to tell you, some elders need the care emotionally, mentally. Some need it physically. I have an aunt who rather than, like my mother's in perfect physical shape, not in perfect mental shape. My aunt needs help physically, but oh, what a character. When I go to visit her, she will meet me at the door with a bottle of champagne chilled <laughs> in one hand and say, take down my fancy champagne flutes, please. She is hilarious. Okay, I'm coming on your next visit. She sounds and awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming. <laughs> right. She is really the, the same character she always was, and I love her for it. So what is it we need to really focus on to be present and do the best we can with elders? I think the first step in trying to connect with somebody is to get to know them for who they are and not in the role in which you previously knew them. So, for example, um, you've always known, I've always known my mother as my mother, and so that is how I related to her, that is how I saw her. And it wasn't until I became a mother myself that I was able to begin to have different conversations with her, asking her about her life. Mom, what was it like when you were in sixth grade? Who was your teacher? What was your relationship like with your mom? When you left the home, how did your mom respond? When I started to see my mother as a woman, 
it really changed the way that I connected with her. And so I think that's really the first step for people is to step outside their role and to try and get to know their loved one as themselves, not as who we think they are. That's great. And one of the best ways is exactly what you just said, the asking questions and letting them tell you stories. OMG. Sometimes those stories are unbelievable. I I can't help telling another family story. I have a cousin of my mom's who just had a big birthday party, and she was interviewed at her party to tell her story. And she talked about, and I didn't know this, eloping when she was 17 years old and crossing the country by train to meet her beloved in San Francisco. And as she stepped off the train, he met her with flowers. And he said, oh, I'm so happy you're here. I love you. Or something romantic. And she said, where is the courthouse? We're getting married (laughs) right now. I was like, perfect for a 17-year-old girl back in the day. Hey, and... They had, <laughs> they had a child who was sitting there next to her, who's now, of course, a grown woman long since, who said, yes, and nine, nine months to the day later, I was born. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but what, what a great example. I mean, I, when I'm interviewing the seniors with whom I work, and often their adult children are sitting there listening, or maybe their nieces or nephews, whoever their primary caregiver is, and I start to pose questions related to their past, and they start to tell me these kinds of stories. I always will ask somebody, how did you meet your wife? How did you meet your husband? Or how did you get from Romania to you know, New York? What was the passage like? And they start telling these stories, and I can see the family members' faces changing, and they're saying, I never knew this. No, this explains so much to me about the character of my mom or the character of my dad. And I think it creates a new bond between family members. It's quite beautiful. Yeah, and by the way, when you find out more about those who came before, you find out more about yourself. Absolutely. Because we now know that we don't just transmit the things we talk about. We transmit the things we don't talk about. Yeah, probably even more. You're right, even more, Stephanie. So you've talked about connecting with elders And one of the steps, first steps you talk about in your caregiving tips is accept your feelings. And I know that having worked with a lot of people who are taking care of family members, sometimes there's guilt, there's fear, sometimes resentment and anger. I had somebody say to me a few months ago who's caring for a very, very difficult elder I hate to say this, but it would be easier if that elder weren't here because it is so hard. This is somebody who uh, gets what's known as sundowners and becomes very abusive and very difficult every evening. Yeah. Yeah, and and it's, it's hard for caregivers, and there's sort of this, Stigma. I can kind of relate it to the stigma of, you know, mental mental health difficulties. So if someone has anxiety, someone has depression, uh, someone is bipolar, whatever it might be, and you don't want to talk about it, you don't want to reveal it, you tend to suffer in silence, and that makes things worse. And I think we sort of have this hidden stigma with caregivers as well, where we have an assumption that they should be full of joy in what they're doing when really it's, I think, probably the hardest job on earth. 
Um, and I think that if we can provide more support and acknowledgement um, and just validation that it is very normal to have these feelings, if we could do it sooner on, I think it would save a lot of uh, guilt for caregivers later later down the line. Yeah, and also to let people know you're going to feel all these feelings. So those of you who are listening, if you have questions, you can join the conversation. You can text us, Dr. Brenda Wade, Facebook us, Dr. Brenda Wade, or go old school, just give us a call, 347-989-0776, 989-0776, and that's the 347 prefix. We'd love to hear your questions, and the first thing, Stephanie, I'm so glad you said that, is this is complicated, and it really is heavy listing. It really is. I'm on that train, and the hardest part, it's different from raising children. When you're raising children, you always have this idea they're growing, they're developing, they're becoming. With elders, there's a winding down process. In our culture, we have no idea how to hold that in our culture. So we do not only have a stigma attached to the process that elders go through, we have a stigma attached to the feelings we have when we take care of them. We also have a stigma about people being older. There's this mad dash, you know, for plastic surgery and and everything under the sun because we are afraid of this process. That's exactly right. And and something else that I'd like to just bring into this, our, our fear of aging, it's, it's, it's um, in all of our terminology as well. I mean, you yourself, when you were discussing your mom, you used the term slipping away, which tells us something about what your feelings are about the aging process. We also use terms like suffering with dementia, the long goodbye, they're disappearing, they're not who they were. And it's all of this negative terminology, and I'm sure you would agree, and I know you, you have lots of topics that you, you discuss, the way that we say things really influences the way that we feel and the way that we behave. You bet it does. That's a core tool that I teach in all of our seminars. It's called conscious language. And I'm so glad you made me conscious about my language. It does not only determine how we feel, it determines how we act. And it determines then, it leads to the systems that we don't have to care for our caregivers and to care for those that are aging. It's created these very isolating and very sad experiences for families, it's no wonder everyone's running in the other direction. And I think if we could even just start with a shift in the language and the terminology, maybe, hopefully, it would roll over into then the support systems and even legislation. I mean, I'm thinking very big, but... Good, I I love it when you think big, (laughs) Stephanie. Go for it. Go for it. We love thinking big because you're thinking solutions. You're thinking solutions. Now, one thing I do want to say is I'm a huge advocate of people making choices about how their lives will evolve. And I'm pretty radical about this, you know, projecting that you will live a long, healthy life, that you will live a life where you hold on to your highest level of mental functioning through exercise, proper nutrition, lowering stress, having adequate social support because we find that people who get lonely, and Stephanie, I know you know this, are people who are more vulnerable to having 
And now, what word should I use? Changes in their mental functioning. How about that? You can say so, that or, yeah, I mean, you can say that someone is having, you know, cognitive uh, cog- cognitive difficulties. That is what it is, but it's yes, not necessarily exactly. inaptitude. I guess that's the, that's the shift is that there's yes, cognitive yes. changes, but they're not inapt. They're still present. It's just they're they're different. Exactly. I love it that you're saying this. This is very helpful to me personally. I hope it's helpful to our listeners. And we do have a question here. Thank you to the person who sent this via Facebook. They didn't identify themselves, so I can't give a name. But the question is, my dad is, and she's saying mental decline, if it's a she, is in mental decline. And, oh, this is very common. And my brothers and sisters and I are fighting. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, when you were telling your story about how you and your sister debrief, I was saying, oh, what a perfect world, you know. But most of the time, unfortunately, it's like this this woman or this man who commented on Facebook, um, crises and stress bring out the worst in people. And when it comes to aging, a lot of times there's a lot of fighting, infighting going on with families. Often it has to do with money. Who's spending it? What decisions are they making? And why That's do they right. get to choose? Especially if the parents haven't done a good job, or whoever the elder is, hasn't done a good job defining their wishes. And exactly. boy, does it lead to drama. And you're right, because if there are any fault lines in relationships to begin with, any kind of stress, and caring for an elder can be very stressful, it will bring it out. Oh, my God. Now, one of the things that I want to go back to just briefly, I encourage everyone to practice. I actually teach a meditation to practice taking ownership of your body, befriending your body, your emotions, your mind, and each night before you go to bed, asking your subconscious mind to work with your higher self, however you want to define that. And just say, higher self, subconscious mind, even while I sleep. Renew my body, my emotions, my mind, my spirit. And I always add, so I can be of the greatest service to as many people as possible. But this intention, holding this intention to be of service as long as possible, is an important one. And I don't have any research on this, but I know a number of people who practice this who continue throughout their lives to be of service to others and to hold the mental integrity and the cognitive integrity. Now, I've practiced it with other things, you know, pregnancies, birthing, you know, cognition, that the body, the mind, the emotions, the spirit all work together. So if we work on all four quadrants, we optimize our experience. And then I do this with my mother. I will sing songs to her, and she'll catch the melody and begin to hum along, or she'll begin to remember some words and sing along. So just reaching that person on whatever level you can also, I think, supports connection. Absolutely. I'm so glad, especially you just said that about music. Music is is one of the best ways uh, to stimulate memories, actually. People go back, usually it's music that was established in your memory between probably age 12 or so and into your early 20s. So bringing up that kind of music, 
even if the music's playing in the background, it can begin to stimulate other memories, even unrelated to the music. And I love, love, love that you said, do what you can with what is in front of you. A person is there even if they are not seemingly responding. They are present. They are alive. And you can engage in, at some level, and it will make you feel better, and it will certainly make them feel better. Thank you. Now, in addition to accepting your feelings, you also say don't try to do it all. Attend to your own needs. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm I'm guilty of that myself. I, I still have the feeling that even my husband doesn't know how to parent in the same way I do. You know, it's it's a common struggle, and I think for women in particular, because we're used to kind of being in charge right away with that little baby that comes, we take the primary role, and I think it just carries on. So then as a caregiver of an elder, we tend to do the same thing. We tend to say no one else can do it as well as I can. The reality is is there are many professionals out there who know more than you do in some ways and who can learn from you in other ways. And if you can collaborate with professionals and work with them as a team, you will be able to step back and feel confident and let some of that those responsibilities go to take time to take care of yourself, as you mentioned, in all, your, all four spheres, emotionally, spiritually, physically, everything, and you'll be much more present for your loved one. And the final tip you give, and I, I love having these four keys, everyone. We started with accept your feelings. It's easy to be overwhelmed and to have feelings like guilt and fear. Don't try to do it all and attend to your own needs. The final thing is take advantage of community services. What are some of the services out there that family members and friends who are caring for elders can use? Well, there certainly there are uh, nonprofit uh, organizations. You can always go to, you know, the Alzheimer's Association if that's something that your family is dealing with, or the National Caregivers Association. And then with whatever area you're in, they can refer you on. There's also, of course, paid services, you know, home care support, companionship that you can also, if you have the funds, that's another thing, that's a whole other topic we could get into. If you have the funds, though, you can um, ask some other professionals to come in and to give you a bit of respite. Hmm. And if you don't have the funds, you know, we have, uh, I have this idea, we have a, we had a babysitting co-op where people took turns taking care of one another's children. So one family always had um, a date night or something like that. I think we should have elder care co-ops too. And I actually do know a service that pairs elders and seniors so that families can combine their funds for care so that the caretaker might take care of a couple of people at the same time and you can split the cost. Oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. And that co-op, co-op, co-op idea, that's fantastic. Well, I remember from babysitting co-ops I used to be part of. So, Stephanie, thank you very, very much. What's your parting shot? What do you want us to know and remember most about caring for elders in a way that takes care of everybody? Be proactive. Do not wait for a crisis to hit to begin the discussions with you and your your elder, uh, any other family members, your siblings. Start now. Start slow. Introduce topics from the media, whatever, to get those conversations going. And then take all of those wishes and all of those 
um, intentions that the family has, put them into writing into your legal documents so that oh, if Oh, Stephanie, you know what? Hold for one second. I'm going to try to get – we have a live question. I'm going to try to get this person in really sure. quickly. Cliff, can we get that person in with a live question? Oh, <clears throat> hello? Hi there. Go right ahead. Oh, hi. So I've done lots of research on this, and I actually had a, a post on my Facebook page that there is a new research out of Australia using ultrasound technology that clears the brain of the neurotoxic, what do they call it, amyloid plaques? Amyloid plaques, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, and then there's an, and so they're using that uh, for for therapy. And then there's another one out of Stanford University. Um, they're claiming they have a cure for Alzheimer's, and basically, it's it's boosting the immune system. Because what they say they discovered discovered that the nerve cell dies because the cells are supposed to clear the brain of bacteria, viruses, and dangerous deposits. Those stop working. I guess they call those the microglia. Microglia. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you're familiar with those two research. uh, Those research. I'm in touch with people in the medical industry, and those are two things that have come across. And it's something I've posted on Facebook because it's 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 stuff that touches almost everyone now. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you for that. I appreciate that information. And Stephanie, what what do you have to say to the caller? Did you want? Okay. So. The first research you're talking about, I actually just read something about that today. I think that research is being done in mice only at this point. So, you know, lots of things are done on animals and starting with small animals who have little skulls that don't, you know, mimic our skulls, et cetera. So we always want to be careful. The second thing I haven't heard of yet, I would always just caution everyone to be very careful. There's all sorts of things thrown out there. Things, you know, we don't know what stages they're in in the studies. We don't know how many people they've used. Um, you know, what uh, if the FDA has approved anything or not, we always want to wait because a lot of stuff are lot a lot of stuff is happening and then it fizzles out because it never makes it to another level. So we just want to be uh, careful in putting all of our our you know eggs in one basket, I guess I should could say. Yes, that makes total sense. Thank you for saying that, Stephanie. Is there anything else you want to say about research or any particular treatments that you know of that are helpful? Well, one thing that I I can't comment on any particular treatment, really a physician should do that. Um, What I do know is that the earlier that you can get treatment and assistance, the better it would be because there are things that can be done to it not stop the progression but certainly slow it down for at least a a period of time. And so early intervention is essential. So you certainly want to get yourself in touch with a physician if you have any concerns that there might be some cognitive losses. Mm-hmm. So are you talking about medications? What are you referring to? Stephanie? Yes, I was talking about medication. But okay. but to the point that you were bringing up earlier, I mean, there is a lot of soft research, I can say, out there about exercise and diet as well. Um, so certainly those things can't help. I mean, can't hurt. <laughs> can't help. Right, exactly. Can't exercise, <laughs> diet, sleep, all the things you know are good for you. They're good for everything, and they take exactly. care of your brain, too. And, you know, I was just at a conference recently, the Transformative Technology Conference in Silicon Valley, and some of the leading neuroscientists were presenting research, getting down to the nitty-gritty of what causes the um, neurons in the brain 
to change their patterning and to come apart was fascinating to me. But one of the key things was practicing using the brain and that there were compelling studies being done here at UCSF saying, you know, different games like luminosity, et cetera. There was one study where they had elders training one hour a day on uh, and basically it was a neuro exercise piece of equipment and within a month they were beating people who were 20 years old on these mental games and exercises. So, you know, it's the old use it or lose it, everybody. Let's take care of ourselves. Let's take care of our elders. And the word I want to insert into this conversation, Stephanie, that you touched on without saying the word, is just bring as much compassion as possible for yourself, for your elder, if you're taking care of an elder, and just bring a lot of that deep feeling into this whole conversation about elder care and what it means to be a person who is adding years and age as you go along. What does it mean? Define that with compassion. Stephanie Erickson, thank you so much for joining us tonight. A very, very important conversation. As my grandmother used to say, God willing, we are all going to have an elder, and it might be us in our lives. All right, you can check Stephanie out for more information at Erickson, that's E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N, resource.com, ericksonresource.com. All right, stay tuned to Modern Love Radio. We've got more great shows coming up for you, and a great big, huge happy birthday to our sponsor, Rainbow Grocery. Next week we have Michelle Hope, talking about our secret sex lives. And then after that, we'll have Annie Mahone talking about Are You Hangry? The link between nutrition, anger, and mindfulness. All right, everyone. Thank you to our producer, LeGrand Green, our associate producer, Cliff Dunning. Good night. 